Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource that it may be a blessing. All right, you can grab a Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and in case you use one of our Pew Bibles, that'll be on page 1014. And while you're finding your place, in 1967, the Beatles released a song that claimed, All You Need Is Love. And personally, I think that that line is really the only coherent aspect of the entire song. It could be that I'm simply not using the right substance to interpret the song. Uh, but uh, at any rate, I think that the, the intended point is that love would solve all the world's problems if only we would do it. And biblically, I think that we could agree with that assertion, although we would disagree with their understanding and application of what love is. Uh, but this morning, Peter is going to emphasize the importance of us loving one another as we allow the Word of God to empower us to be the people that God has called us to be. And so we are in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to pick up beginning in verse 22. Peter writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so last week, Peter emphasized the importance of keeping our hope focused on what God has in store for us when Jesus returns, so that as we go through this life, we can live obediently in the face of temptation and suffering and even opposition. And now as we pick up again here in verse 22, Peter moves on to begin dealing with, the, the, talking about our relationships with one another as fellow believers. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And so the, the main commandment here is for us to love one another. Now as we look at the beginning of verse 22, we see that our love is built on the foundation of us having purified our souls by obedience to the truth. And I think we need to clarify both of those uh, phrases. And so first of all, when Peter refers to purifying our souls, he's building on a concept that we find primarily in the Old Testament. And, and that's depending on the circumstances, there may be any number of a variety of rituals that an individual might undergo in order to purify themselves and make themselves fit to stand before the Lord in worship. And so that may involve a washing of some kind, or abstaining from certain foods or activities, waiting a certain period of time. But in our case, our purification, what has made us fit to stand before the Lord, is our obedience 
to the truth. Now, the second phrase is, is potentially confusing on the face of it, because typically we think of obedience as things that we do in response to our salvation. But, but the New Testament uses the phrase obedience to the truth specifically to refer to our faith, our, our embracing of the gospel message. And so Peter isn't talking about earning our salvation, and he's not talking about responding to our salvation. He is referring to our faith itself. So I think about the, the instance in John chapter 6 where there are some people in the crowd who approach Jesus and they ask him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answers them by saying, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Right? And that's the idea here. Our primary obedience is to believe the gospel. And all of our other acts of obeying the Lord's commandments flow out of that. And so when Peter says that we have purified our souls by obedience to the truth, he means our proper response to the gospel, which is faith in Jesus. Right? By faith, the Lord has cleansed us of our sin, and he has granted us the perfect righteousness of Jesus in exchange so that we are able to stand before him. All right, so our obedience to the truth, our proper response to the gospel, has resulted in the purification of our souls. But then we also see that this purification is supposed to lead somewhere. All right, Peter says that, that it is for a sincere brotherly love. In other words, one of the effects of our salvation is that it produces in us love for other people. And as we've said so many times before, love is not primarily an emotion or a feeling that we have, although it can include emotions and feelings. It's not simply another way of saying be nice or affirming unconditionally of other people. Biblically speaking, love is a commitment to the well-being of another person that is willing to sacrifice for their benefit if necessary. Now, you should be able to say that in your sleep as many times as we have, have seen that. Love is a commitment that we have toward another person that we will seek what is good for them, even if it is inconvenient or costly to us. Now, we should be clear here that, that specifically Peter is talking about our love for other believers, right? This is a brotherly love. And sometimes you'll hear people say that, that we're all God's children, but that's not true. Right? We are all God's creation. We've all been made in God's image, and we have value and dignity because of that. But it's only those who are in Christ who have a family relationship with God. Right? And if we are adopted by God as his children, when we believe the gospel, then that means that everyone else who comes to faith in Jesus becomes our spiritual brother and sister. Right? By faith in Christ, we come into a spiritual family, a family that's called to relate to each other in love. And as we've said before, this does not mean that we should not act loving towards other people. It simply means that we have a particular responsibility to be loving to other believers. And then to take things one step further and to be even more specific, our relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ finds its primary expression. It's, it's made tangible through church membership. And of course, that's already implied here, because who is Peter writing to? A group of churches. Right? While it sounds good for us to, to love everyone, 
it's not actually realistic in practice, right? Like, I have no way of consistently expressing love toward a brother or sister in Mexico because we're not together. I have no way of of bearing the burden or helping to bear the burden of, of a brother or sister in China because we're not together. In fact, we really don't even know that each other exists. Right, even more locally, I can't, I can't actively pray for every single believer just here in Lumberton. There, there's too many. It's completely overwhelming and unrealistic. Right, we, are, we are not capable, nor are we expected, uh, to act uh, in this way toward everyone everywhere. Uh, but we have a particular understanding, uh, while we can and should show love to anyone as we have opportunity, we know who we are primarily responsible to love, by the membership of our local church. That's who God has given us to express this kind of love to primarily, right? Every Christian should be a committed member of a local church. That gives them a body of believers to love and a body of believers to be loved by, and that way everybody gets covered. And so anytime we see one another in the New Testament, we should understand and interpret that primarily in the context of church membership, right? The other members of our church are who we are primarily responsible to fill one another commandments with. And just to reiterate, love is serious business. Uh, Peter emphasizes this at the end of verse 22 when he says that we should love one another earnestly from a pure heart. We need to understand that he's not calling us here to a, a surface level being cordial to people as you see each other once a week at the same worship service. This is a hands-on engagement as we wade into the weeds of each other's lives. Love requires us to know each other, to spend time with one another, and to express our sacrificial commitment to one another in concrete ways. Of course, maybe all of this sounds great in theory, but the problem is that it's actually very difficult to do in practice. And the reason for that is that people are difficult in practice. Right? People say things that hurt us. They do things that frustrate us. And, and our natural inclination is to hold them at arm's length in order to protect ourselves or, or to maintain our, our sanity or preserve our composure. Right? Love is much easier to talk about than to do. But fortunately, we see here that we're not expected to do this simply in our own strength. Right? In verse 23, Peter gives a second basis for this love. Not only should we love because we have purified our souls by obedience to the truth, but we are also to love one another since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So we are able to love because we have been born again, that the Holy Spirit has regenerated our hearts and given us new life. And as this new life works itself out, it leads us to love others as we have been loved by God in in sacrificial ways for all of the ways that that we ourselves are difficult and unworthy. Not only that, but we see that we have been born again through the imperishable Word of God. The gospel that was proclaimed to us and that we have believed is imperishable. It is invincible. And you'll notice that Peter quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, where we read, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 
Right? And the implication is that everything in this world is perishable. Right? People, animals, and plants die. The greatest wonders of, of architecture eventually break down and fall. Volcanoes and earthquakes and wildfires can, can reshape the very landscape of the earth. Nothing in all of creation is permanent, but the Word of God stands forever. It is all-powerful. It will never fail. It cannot be, nothing can stand against it. And Peter's point is that since we have been born again by this imperishable Word, this living and abiding Word, we now have an endless supply of power to love people. We have an endless supply of power to love others if we choose to tap into it. Right? We can do this because God is at work in us through his imperishable word. So Peter has called us to love one another because God's word is empowering us and has given us new life. And he's going to give more specific instructions about this as we move on into chapter 2. So we'll pick up in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so as we pick up again in chapter 2, in light of the call to love one another, Peter lists five vices or immoral behaviors that his readers must put away. We see that he includes all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. And so malice refers to the desire to harm somebody. Right? It didn't just happen. You intended to say or do what you did in order to hurt another person. Right? Deceit is, is the intentional misrepresentation of a person or a situation in order to mislead people. Hypocrisy is, is when we pretend to be a certain way when the reality is that we are not that way. Envy refers to a, a jealous discontentment against somebody because of who they are or because of what they have that we don't. And finally, slander is when we say things about another person, whether they be true or not, in order to harm their reputation and to influence other people's opinion of them. And so while this list is probably not exhaustive, Peter gives us a number of ways that we should not act towards one another. And going back to our, our definition of love, there is never a situation in which any of these things work for the good of another person. Right? Like you're never going to be in a situation where you can honestly say, you know, today she really needed me to slander her. And, and so I did. I don't, I'm not considering myself a hero. I just did what any other person in the same situation would have done. Right? No, these behaviors are always harmful, and therefore they are always unloving. And Peter says, put them away. Do not act like this towards each other. However, once again, we could admit that while this all sounds good in theory, it's much harder to do in reality. I mean, if you're honest, how often do you catch yourself doing some of these things? Right, so how are we going to put these things away and pursue loving actions and behaviors toward one another instead? Well, Peter tells us in verse 2, 
when he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. All right, so he makes a, a comparison. Spiritual milk should be to us like physical milk is to a newborn. Now, there's not a clear reference to, to what spiritual milk is here in this verse. And so contextually, the most logical explanation is that the milk he is referring to is the Word of God. Right? The, the same thing that, that uh, initiates our spiritual life is the same thing that sustains and grows our spiritual life. And when he says long for it, he's talking about a strong desire for something, a craving for something. It's the same expression that David uses in Psalm 42 when he says that as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Right, when you long for something, there's this sense that if I don't get it, something bad is going to happen. I can remember, uh, in thinking about this, when, when the kids were babies and they'd get hungry, and, and once they learned to recognize that the bottle had milk in it, then, then as soon as they saw the bottle coming their direction, they would just start going crazy. It was like, that's it, that's it, that's what I want right there, right? And, and in a similar way, perhaps not quite as expressive, but in a similar way, if we understand what the scriptures are, then we should have a strong desire to get more and more out of them because they are what enable us to grow up into our salvation. Right? The scriptures provide us with the nutrition that we need to grow spiritually. They tell us what is true in this world. They explain how to live according to God's design. They show us the big picture of, of how everything fits together in Christ. That they give us God's promises, which enable us to, to seek, to repent of sin, and, and to grow more and more like Jesus in our character. And then in verse 3, Peter ends the section by adding the qualifier, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is an allusion to Psalm 34, where, where David invites his readers to taste and see that the Lord is good. Try it and find out for yourselves. And as believers, Peter assumes that his readers have had that experience, that in the gospel we have tasted the goodness of the Lord. And the point is that if you have tasted, if you have truly tasted that the Lord is good, then why would you possibly want to hold back on getting more and more of what he has for you in his word? Think about your favorite food for just a moment, whatever, whatever that is. And think back, if you can remember, to the first time you ever tried it. And as you took that first bite and tasted it, and then someone were to say, what do you think? And you say, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And say, oh well, great, well, would, you like, would you like another bite? Well, how many of you would say, actually no, I think I'm okay. Right? Nobody would. It's amazing. It's the best thing you've ever tasted in your life. Of course you want more of it. Right? If, if you have tasted that something is good, you naturally want more of it. But church, how many of us neglect God's word as if it is not spiritually appetizing? I mean, goodness, many of us are willing to, or to eat things that taste absolutely terrible if we're convinced that it will help us to live more healthily. And yet in his word, God has given us a buffet of truth and goodness and beauty 
And so often, we allow it to sit on the shelves. Or we'd rather spend time, hours watching TV or scrolling through social media or engaging in, in other hobbies that may not be bad in themselves, but that we allow to keep us away from what is best. If we sense that we're not living up to the Lord's expectations, it probably shouldn't be hard for us to figure out why. That is, so many of us are starving spiritually. And there's no way that we can expect to be healthy like that. The Word of God initiates and sustains our spiritual lives. And so if we want to love one another, then we need our hearts to be fueled by the Scriptures. And so it could be that the most loving thing we can do for another person is to spend time every day reading and meditating on God's Word. Because that will then propel us out into tangible expressions of love for the good of others and the glory of God. And so in our passage this morning, Peter calls us to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ as we allow the Word of God to shape us and empower us to be the people God has called us to be. And I think in context, this is something that was perhaps more self-evident for Peter's original readers in many ways, based on their situation. When life is hard, when we're suffering, when we're possibly facing opposition because of our faith in Jesus, we need each other. We don't have time in those situations to allow petty things to come between us and divide the church, we, we have to love one another. Our, our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, I think, understand this much more intuitively than we do, although it may be that we come to see it more for ourselves as time goes on. Our church should be characterized by a sacrificial commitment to one another in ways that you will not find in the rest of the world. Jesus himself said that love is the defining characteristic of his disciples. He says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Those who have been loved sacrificially by God are to love others sacrificially as a reflection of who he is and what he has done for us through Jesus. And so as we consider the application of this passage for our own lives today, it's it's worth asking the question, does love characterize your relationship with the other members of our church? When, When someone says or does something you don't like, do you use that as an excuse to pull back, to keep them at arm's length? Or... Do you see that as an opportunity, or perhaps, in light of our text this morning, even a responsibility to pursue them in love? I think that a great goal would be for us to be able to point to something that we have done to love another member of our church on a weekly basis. And I don't say that so that we can draw attention to ourselves. I mean so that we can keep ourselves accountable for living the way that the Lord calls us to. Loving one another is something that requires intentionality. It's not just going to happen. And so we always need to be on the lookout for opportunities. Where where is there an opportunity uh, to to serve in the ministries of our church? Where is there a practical need of another member that I can meet? Who can I go out of my way to, to talk to or to pray with? Who do I need to forgive 
and move forward with? Who do I need to ask forgiveness from? It could be that you need to start by, by strongly considering joining yourself to a local church, either here at Loeb or a church that you feel comfortable joining in membership. Right? It's, it's good and it's important to attend worship weekly, but the kind of life that Peter is calling us to here only happens by truly investing ourselves in each other's lives. Or, if you sense that your love is not where it should be, then perhaps the next step is to consider your own personal engagement with God's Word, because Peter links the two together here. You know, we, we really have no excuse. We've said this before. We have no excuse when it comes to engaging the Bible. Right? We live in a day and time where you can read it, you can listen to it, you can watch it, you can have it at, in a book form, you can have it on your computer, you can have it on your phone. There are so many English translations that you could use a different translation each day of the month and still have some left over. At, at no time in all of human history has it been easier and more convenient for us to engage the scriptures. But the more accessible it becomes, the more we seem to take it for granted, and the, more we, the less that we seem to desire it. So another question that you could ask this morning is, do you long for the pure spiritual milk of God's word, or do you drink so much from the world's fountain of junk that your spiritual appetite is, is diminished? And if we find that our appetite for God's word is weak, then we can start by, by joining the, the author of Psalm 119 who calls out to the Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. Lord, give me a desire for your word. Church, we have the promise that if we give ourselves to God's word, it will produce in us what it requires and calls from us. And so this morning, let's commit to loving one another as God's word empowers us to be the people he has called us to be. Let's pray together.